but the journey of improvement will will ensure that on race day, from when you started the program to when you get to race day, you will be a better prepared athlete with a better outcome. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. If I were to ask you about your training week, do you know what sessions to do and what order to do them? This is the most common thing we see with athletes when they reach out to us. They have so much conflicting advice about what they should do and when they should do it. Most athletes just want to be able to trust a process that they can be sure will work. This is one of the many reasons we see athletes not seeing fitness improvements. So today, we're going to talk about five reasons you might not be improving and what to do instead. We want to say from the start that most people think, oh, I'm potentially just not doing the right session, or if I could get given the perfect session to do, that would make all the difference. But we can tell you for certainty, that's not it. And the answers that we're going to give today aren't what you think. And of course, before we get into the episode, this podcast is brought to you by our proud sponsor, Giant Australia, for all your bike, training and racing needs, ride life, ride giant. Dad, welcome to the episode. Our normal starting segment is, what are you grateful for? Thanks, George. Uh, and look, over the last few months and probably the last few years, as the, the technology has improved, and I was just talking to someone the other day, um, it was your grandfather, actually, and he was telling me the very first time he, he had a mobile phone and, and it was... Uh, a big bag with a normal phone inside the bag that was connected to wiring and you pick it up like a normal phone, like in a phone booth. Um, and I remember exactly when that came out as well in the early 1990s. Um, and texting wasn't a thing. Um, people still talk to each other. Um, I'm grateful for modern technology. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like the art of communicating through talking to each other um, is still the best form of communication and that's what I'm grateful for the fact that we still can can actually look each other in the eye and talk to each other and and have a conversation where you know you can really see people's uh, body language about how how um, invested they are in what they're saying or how much they believe in what they're saying um, texting you just lose context emailing you write something and someone reads it differently to how you've written it and that causes great confusion and sometimes great anxiety and great angst um, and I just feel even with all of the technological advances that we've had, I still am grateful that we can still talk to each other and that that should take priority um, over everything. And I think a lot of issues would be better off solved if we actually just picked up the phone and talked to each other or went and sourced the person you, you might have an issue with or that you want to congratulate on a positive side, on a negative side, if you have an issue with them. Um, but, you know, there's nothing like, for example, at the end of a, a race and you happen to be there when you've been watching someone who's performed very well and you're there to give them a congratulations, hug or kiss or whatever you're doing. It, it is just a, a great nonverbal way of of communicating your um your happiness towards that person so i love that uh, face-to-face communication and i'm, I'm hopeful and, and wanting that to be the mainstream of our communication going forward although technology is dominating our our, our way our style of life but uh, i want people to communicate uh, verbally if i could it's a good it's a good one for you because as a coach you spend a lot of time on the phone so i'm glad that you still <laughs> enjoyed it enough no matter the time you spend on it and i think you might have got your decades wrong there i can't imagine that that bag phone was the 90s it sounds more like the 60s but <laughs> <laughs> well let me tell you, there was no such thing as a mobile phone until 1990-something. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably get ripped for that by the <laughs> listeners. But <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, my gratitude, 
Actually, it's probably a little bit um, personal to go into detail with on this podcast, even though that we do go into a lot of detail um, on this podcast about our personal lives. But um, I will just say that I'm grateful for our family and that is my gratitude for today. Moving on to what's caught your attention. We have been watching an awesome show on uh, Netflix together, The Quarterback. Uh, it's a show about um, the quarterback in the NFL and I'm a big NFL fan anyway and you're not, um, yeah, you don't watch it. You watch it every so often if, if we watch it. Um, but we both love sport and these documentaries are such a great insight into you know, athletes at their top top level, at the top of their game in uh, in different sports. And anytime you can see a documentary in a different sport outside the ones that you might do, like triathlon, cycling or running, um, it's always great insight to see what makes them tick and, and you can take some strategies that they use and, and apply to yourself. And we just were watching episodes, just soaking in every second, absolutely loving and what was happening at the quarterback position, which is arguably one of the most technical and toughest sporting positions in the world because of the mental strategy it takes as well as the physical toll. Um, and yeah, we've, we've enjoyed a lot of it. And we kind of want to share some lessons that we took from it uh, that we can apply to our athletes. So I'll let you start. Yeah, and look, it's just not about uh, American football. We could use this uh, with Ange Postacoglu as a, a, an incredibly improved uh, soccer manager or Penrith in the local NRL, uh, the coach there. I can't even think of his name, but uh, he's won three in a row, I suppose. Um, premierships, yeah. Premierships or um, if you're in America, world titles. Uh, in a row and um, I think they all have a common thing uh, that they're really uh, mentally prepared and we we talk in this podcast a lot about the physical side of preparation um, getting things right and and even the physical side of the week before and you know getting your equipment right and all that stuff we talk about that physicalness but we haven't talked a lot in our podcast over the years uh, that we've been doing this about uh, how much the mental preparation, not just for race day, but for every day, uh, almost every day that you are on this earth, you kind of need to have some sort of strategy the day before about what you're going to do tomorrow, what you're going to do in the next hour, when you're going to go to bed. Uh, all of these are part of your mental preparation that you are actually preparing your physical self to to get through the day. And I think it's really underestimated how important that aspect of it was and these coaches um, and the players in the American uh, football context really showed me uh, it, this is a very technical sport as a quarterback you've got all these plays being spoken to through your eardrum earpiece um, that the coach is, is working out on the sideline and you've got to remember that if he calls out a play then the playbook might have 60 or 70 plays that he has to know and and sure, they'll yeah. narrow it down for each mm -hmm. team that they're playing because some teams, these plays work better. But that quarterback has to remember the play in the huddle, tell his guys who are supposed to stop him from getting nailed and throw the ball to the person who's waiting to receive it. So there's so much mental preparation that he has to think about how he's going to execute and, and knowing that he could possibly get absolutely hammered by three or four of the biggest guys who are, their whole purpose is to is to knock him to the ground. I look at it just going, who would want to be a quarterback? That is the most brutal sport in the world. But the point I'm making is the preparation mentally that, that they have to go through each week. It was a real eye-opener to me and the plays that they have to actually learn for each week's game over the season. And it was fantastic to see uh, how the detail they go into it. And, and if you convert that to a running uh, program or to a triathlon program or to a bike program, it's exactly the same. As a bike rider, most people think that riding a bike is easy. And to the average punter, 
It is. You just get on a bike and start pedaling. But to be successful in an event against opposition, there's way more technical stuff that you could do to get the same result with the same level of fitness, get a better result, sorry, with the same level of fitness that you currently have just by changing strategies. And that's all about mental preparation, understanding what you should be doing on certain parts of of the bike course just like the quarterback has to make a decision about what he's going to do once the guy gives him the ball and and backs and forwards are running left and right in front of him he's making these split decisions um, to get the right outcome and and so the mental side of it that's what's caught my attention and and we had a couple of really extreme examples with Patrick Mahomes and Kirk Cousins is it Kirk Cousins yeah. is that right yeah. yeah and one is the super conservative quarterback who does all his diligent homework and really sticks to the plays and and is known for that conservativeness and and Patrick Mahomes is the complete opposite he is just looking like he's going by the seat of his pants and making decisions um, as he sees fit and they're Wall both Street's very successful outgoing, flamboyant like yeah 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 and he talks the talk but he actually walks the walk as well you know he's won two out of the last three Super Bowls and he's been MVP um, on the last Super Bowl he does talk a lot but he he actually does the 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 work and it was two contrasting ways of going about things and it showed me that that you know everybody has their own unique way of getting the best outcome and, and it's just finding finding that method that suits you and everybody's got a different personality and character that you've got to find your your way about going going about things um, not just physically, this, this is the, the mental side of it. You've got to understand what makes you tick and push those buttons to get you in the, in the zone, in the moment and make better decisions. Uh, just like Patrick Mahomes does and just like Kirk Cousins does when you know you've got so much information being fed to you and how quickly you can actually um, put that information into categories and come out with a, uh, an action that's either going to be good or bad instantly. You're going to, you're going to make a shocking throw to an attacker, a receiver, sorry, the word is receiver, <laughs> who doesn't receive the ball because of your poor throw or his positioning. And so you live and die by these decisions. And, you know, we saw there was another example. I don't even know his, I remember his name. There were three quarterbacks they followed. Marcus um, Mariota was the other one. Mariota, that's right. And he ended up getting um, replaced as a quarterback. So we had one Patrick Mahomes flamboyant who, who was MVP and won the, the, the Super Bowl. Um, Kirk Cousins, who was conservative, but still they got, they won their conference. They made the playoffs and lost the first round. And the other guy, Mariotti, who actually lost his position as a quarterback because of the way he was playing. He was doing all the work. It wasn't panning out for him. So, so these are classic examples of, uh, of how it's just not a physical game. It's a mental game as well. Apologies to anyone that hasn't watched it and wanted to watch it, and we, we, we're definitely going to spoil it in this explanation. Um, <laughs> it was fine for me because I knew the result of the um, whole series. I knew everything that happened, so I mean, it was just as fascinating to watch. I guess it's the same with the F1 series that's out. When it comes out a season later, everyone knows what's actually happened. Um, but there's a reason that plan, prepare, perform is our you know motto, and you know you go on about the preparation part, and you always say to our athletes that the pressure, preparation isn't just the training you're doing. It's everything around the training. It's how you're going to fit your training into your actual week, where you're going to fit it in before and after work, and how prepared are you going to be the night before to make sure that you can actually make the session happen if you got all your equipment laid out and do you know the exact timing of things? And we had Rachel on the podcast last week where she had to really look at her weeks and go, where can I fit this volume of running in that's going to get me fit enough for a 160-kilometer event, a 41-hour event? You just think it's impossible, especially when you're working full-time. Um, so she made her commutes to and from work, her training, and 
she was literally running 10, 20, 25, 30 potential kilometers to and from work to get that volume in. So um, that, that preparation is key. And I think one point I really wanted to make was exactly what you just said then that, you know, figure out what works best for you. And, and we had, you know, two quarterbacks with very kind of different styles of going about it. Um, but my, what I was so impressed with was the attention to detail from both quarterbacks and they went about things differently, but they, they prepared just as hard as each other, but in different ways. And I think that's the point that stood out to me was, um, they were just pure examples of, you know, they couldn't have done any more work, um, themselves to make sure they were up for game day and they were ready for games and are ready to perform at their absolute peak performance. And so, you know, some people might use the excuse that, oh, I'm not a detailed person, so I don't like going th- about things that way. And that's not what we're trying to say here, but we're not trying to say that if I, if you don't like being well prepared, then you know that's good enough it's it's fine the best way if you do be ultimately ultimately prepared to give your peak performance and i just think a lot of athletes could learn a lot from how they go about their weeks and, and where they're fitting in the mental side of their preparation you know their study about the playbook and where they're fitting in the physical side and where they're fitting in and prioritizing recovery and um, kirk cousins had a great example where um, he takes tuesdays completely off and he has time completely away from the club and he just says i'm not doing anything football related that day and that's his reset day and then he has examples where um he will leave training to go um prioritize getting treatment from from four physios or doctors or whatever to make sure that you can actually get up for training so um all these things combined were just great examples i thought of the ultimate preparation i just thought it was worth pointing out yeah i uh i I couldn't agree more with with you and they were very extreme examples but you know looking over the the journey of uh of the most successful coaches and players it comes down to a lot of uh inbuilt talent um so that's that's mainly uh one of the the reasons why some people are are better than others um because they've got just this natural talent but there are many examples of people who are mediocre talent but invested mentally in in their preparation and physical preparation of course you can't just be thinking about what you're going to do you actually have to physically do that but there are many examples of people who are outsmarting the actual the more talented athlete uh, just by thinking and mentally working out how to overcome the the opposition Um, and that's that's kind of a key Moving on to today's topic, um, the five reasons you might not be seeing fitness improvements. And as we said at the start, there could be many reasons why, but here are five um, very specific reasons that we want to focus on that we see often are the reason why athletes are stuck and not improving. And often they don't know why this is and they don't realize they're doing these things. So the very first one is a bit of a unique angle, but we were going to actually define improving and ask the question, well, how do you know you're not improving? What's your definition of improving? And for a majority of athletes, they're actually not testing themselves regularly. So we would say, okay, well, what do you testing against then how do you know uh, specifically you're not improving and more importantly dad you often have conversations with athletes where they've forgotten where they came from they might have tested um, or gone through a training block and then done a time trial or a race or something and not had an ideal result and then it feels like the world's going to end because you're going what the hell is going on i've done so much hard work and i'm not improving and often you have to remind them that um, six months ago they were 70 watts lower than they are now and so yes they, they might have had one poor result um, but look how far they've come in in six months and obviously that's not good enough forever you know you do want to address again okay, what happened today why didn't we improve what needs to improve for next training block but it is a co- often a, a case of understanding okay what is the what is the analysis here of how do you define improving yeah and i suppose uh, our case studies that we've been doing a series of in the last uh, couple of months has been a classic example of that and that's that's intentional by us to to get people to understand that you need to get perspective and perspective is something that, that allows you to understand where you're at and where you've come from and if you don't have that perspective then you you are kind of going on a journey that's got that's got no destination almost um yeah, aimless yeah aimless journey that where you you are expecting that you're improving and then when you actually come to your race day um, you get a shock where you perform poorly Um, and you could also get to race day and 
and think that you're not in such good form, but you perform well. So there could be so many outcomes, but you are at best guessing. And I don't like to be in that situation when I come to race day. So understanding the perspective of your improvement is key. And how do you do that? That's obvious that you need to start with a baseline, like a line in the sand. Whereas, where is my fitness at right now? Where am I going with this journey? Is it a 12 month journey? Is it a two year journey that I'm, that I'm on? Um, I saw Lionel Sanders do a, a YouTube video and he's given himself three more years to have to have one two or three of the best performances he can possibly do and i love that the guy's absolutely not happy with where he is now he's given him three years and i'm going to do everything i can to, to improve my swimming my swimming sucks as he says uh, my bike could be improved and my running is not where i want it to be so i'm giving myself three years and i'm going to do everything i can to make sure that i have one two or three of the best races that i've ever had in my life from this point going forwards and i've got examples of guys that i coach for example, have set targets and and these targets when I first coached them were were pretty pretty high targets. You know, breaking a, a Strava KOM that's currently their time where it might have been around twelve or thirteen minutes and their their target was to break ten minutes. And they just did it last week. They did nine fifty three. And that's unbelievable perspective for them. They And they are so grateful. They understand where they've come from. This is an example of someone who understands it, who really gets it, who's grateful for the work they've done, where they've come from and where they're at now. That can happen to anybody that, that knows what their, their current fitness is and where they are, where they were and where they want to be. Such an important point because, you know, we're doing this because we want to enjoy ourselves and we want to have good experiences and you will have such a good experience as an athlete if you can you know, measure yourself properly and have this perspective and this objective analysis and see exactly where you've come from so you can celebrate your victories and celebrate your good performances and if you don't have this you're taking away your own enjoyment of celebrating these victories and I know you've had plenty of phone calls where an athlete has done a race or an event that you are so proud of and pumped of because you as the coach know exactly where they've come from and exactly what they're capable of and you've seen it and they've called you up and, and this can be the problem as you say of the motivated athlete is they're always looking for ways they could have been better. They're always kind of focusing on the mistakes. Um, and you're saying, don't take this away from us as a coach and athlete. This is our chance to celebrate what a good performance this is. Um, don't just focus on the negative or, or what could have been when this is a performance that you would have been so proud of six months ago, 12 months ago. Yeah. And look, that's the negative side of it. But the positive side of it is that you can measure yourself, not just in a race. You can do this specific time trial you know, as a 10K runner or a 5K runner, a park run, a 20-minute FTP or a, or a triathlon. Um, there's so many ways of measuring it. It doesn't have to be um, in one race. If you think hard about just everyday group rides that you might ride in, as an example, or, or long endurance runs where, with a pack of runners that you run with, and there's been times where the pace has been so hard that you're just keeping up. And then all of a sudden, a year later, you're actually inflicting some of that pain on the other people in the group. That's not a test that you're in, but that's just an experience that you've had that gives you perspective of where you are in that pack of riders or runners uh, or swimmers if you're doing endurance, you know, open water swimming. You know where you are before and you know where you are now. And that's perspective that I'm talking about. Um, it doesn't have to be a test to, 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 for you to get an understanding. And that's what you should be thinking about. And, and they're, they're the definition of, um, you might be improving, but you don't actually know it because you actually aren't thinking along those lines. And you should be looking for all the, all the opportunities to, to see on, and feel that today's ride with my normal mates felt so much easier than a year ago. And on this particular hill, they all left me for dead and had to wait for me. And now I was second up the hill. 
that's perspective of improvement. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, there's so many ways you can go about it. And I guess that's why defining um, any little or big goal is a really key part of this. And that example you go over the athlete before that broke that 10 minute barrier. Um, he had some great examples of, he set a whole bunch of goals that he started with and um, has slowly ticked them all off, right? Yeah. And look, it's it's gone from one minute PB, five minute PB, 10 minute PB and uh, 20 minute PB. He's beat them all. He's And now he's sitting back saying, wow, what's my next challenge? Um, I've ticked off all the boxes way sooner than I thought. That's a happy athlete who's who's now ready for the next challenge. And, and you know, he's thrown out another 20 um, minute PB that I've sort of gone, whoa, that's that's out there. Uh, but, but there's no ceiling. You know, it might take longer than you think, but uh, everybody has the right to select whatever goal they want and and whether it takes two months or two years, uh, that's entirely up to you. That's a, yeah, that's a great example. And another good one is uh, just even on our bunch ride, uh, we often see athletes who are newer to the bunch ride. Um, you know, there's this, the, the back half is a big, you know, really tough roll and you're rolling with some really experienced athletes and people are really, you know, trying to hurt each other a little bit in this role. And uh, we see the newer athletes on the bunch ride get spat out of the back of the roll pretty quickly and, and either hang on or get dropped. And that's just the nature. And those, that little goal is just, oh, how long can I hang on next week? How long can I hang on next week? And then how long till I can start pulling strong turns and how long can I pull strong turns till I can make it to the, the sprint at the end of the bunch ride and that's another example of what you're talking about about using little measures here and there it might be an individual session where you're, you're measuring against your own numbers you know six by three minutes what numbers was i doing three months ago what can i do now um there are ways to, to actually measure yourself about how you're improving and um, the last one i wanted to kind of touch on was thinking about race results versus execution you can have things both ways here you could have a really great result but you actually didn't execute that well um, and as a coach you're sometimes pulling athletes back and saying i know you want to celebrate the result but here's where you could have really improved and gotten a better, a better outcome and other times they've gotten a really poor race outcome but you were just so happy with the way they executed and they actually did a a half marathon pb at the end of a 70.3 or it was good conditions and they rode the highest speed they ever had and that's worth celebrating i totally agree and we shouldn't be defined by our results results are great they are fantastic we can celebrate being on the podium uh, doing a pb but i'm more interested in that journey of how you got that result not only in training but on race day, I absolutely love when someone gets the execution right and and the result might not be a podium or a PB, but they've actually learned how to, to go about getting getting the, the race uh, strategies right because they will improve from that point on. If you're getting good results with poor execution, you will keep repeating that because the result is determining how you're going to go about it rather than the journey that will enable you. You will come undone eventually if you have a poor execution and still get a a result that's going to reiterate that execution doesn't count Um, and i think that's really important for the long term Uh, you might get away with it occasionally but for the long-term improvement that execution strategy is going to win out point number two is quite specific but it's um, making the mistake of trying to start a training program without a proper base yeah, and look, we often say to all the athletes who join that uh, we want to find out exactly where your fitness level is and we'll train you to that fitness level. That's kind of heartening for them to hear uh, because I'm saying to them, I don't care how good you are right now. I just want to know where your fitness level is. And so we can train accurately to that fitness level and not start you with a, a level that is way beyond your cap- capacity and fitness at the moment. So so initially, if we've got enough time, we will absolutely push 
to get that base training, that endurance training up on both if you're a triathlete as a runner and swimmer and as a rider, if you're a pure cyclist, an endurance cyclist or a racer or a crit rider, we want to get that base up. We want that endurance ride to be the mainstay of your program and making sure that you're doing the high intensity sessions at your current level of fitness. So you can still get away with those short, hard efforts with a poor level of fitness, but that will stop you from improving if you don't work on the, the base. The base is the, is as we've said, and you've heard it many times, you know, if you're building on poor foundations, the house will not stand up in strong winds and, and howling uh, rain and, and all those things that, uh, that the modern era is throwing at our, at our community at the moment. So we want, we want our, our base fitness to be so rock solid that we can actually do the intensity without it having to hurt us too much down the track. So, so the lack of improvement could be long term here. You could get away with it early by training really hard early on. But you will get found out as well. Um, just like the execution example, if you don't have the fitness, you won't be able to sustain the program for the third or fourth or seventh week. If you neglect the endurance aspect of building your base, getting that aerobic fitness capacity as high as you can, you will start to get tighter and tighter as you work your way through the journey of the program. And if you keep doing that, you will get to a point where you are so exhausted because the hard sessions become way too hard and you don't improve, by the way. You, you actually stay, you, you hit a, hit an FTP number in those high intensity sessions that you can't improve on because you don't have the fitness base to, to work harder next week or the week after. And that's why the base training is so important. Yeah, and to clarify, you're not saying, you know, it's endurance and base and nothing else, but I think Stephen Siler put it perfectly when he came on our podcast and he really hammered home the, the points we love, which is volume first or frequency first, volume intensity. And when you're building that base, it's the frequency of training and the volume that you're trying to build up before you're worrying about intensity. That doesn't mean you don't do any intensity. It's like the very first point you made here is that you do the intensity but at your level, but it's just not the priority as much as, as the frequency and volume are of building up and getting your body used to that. Point number three, and this, this this is probably the most common conversation we have on um, when an athlete starts is, okay, well, you want to start training. Tell us about your, your training history. What kind of training sessions you've been doing? And so often the answer comes out with the training week that where it's just a lot of the same session over and over or a similar session over and over. Yeah. And um, the examples I've probably talked about in different podcasts over the journey, but you know, guys, guys will say, I'm really training as hard as I possibly can. I'm just not getting any improvement. I'm, I'm feeling really strong and solid, but I just can't seem to get any better. In fact, in the last month or two, that's why I'm reaching out to you. I feel like I'm actually starting to get worse. And so I'll ask them, well, what are you doing in your, what sessions are you doing? I'll say, oh, Monday I do recovery. Tuesday I do really high intensity. Wednesday I do uh, my zone two. Thursday I do more high intensity. Friday I do recovery. Saturday I do an endurance. Um, and Sunday I do some, some zone two. And I say, well, that program sounds pretty damn good to me and, <laughs> yeah. and and i'll say the next question is are you doing that on your own and, and what give me an example of what your ftp is and how you're doing that in your zone so the minute i dig into a session tell me about your tuesday session and then tell me about your wednesday session okay the tuesday session i do that with my bunch and we just roll flat out uh, from the start of the ride to the finish of the ride so oh, great that's probably a good high intensity session in a roundabout way that's okay wednesday what are you doing there uh we just go out with a bunch and it's 
starts off, you know, as a zone two, but normally someone, you know, goes up the road, we, we go to, to some hills where, where we end up, you know, if I was, if I was being honest, it's ends up being quite a hard ride. And so, you know, straight away, we're getting a little bit more detail about, well, he's just done the same as he did the day before with the same group of guys. And then Thursday he says, now I'm back to the high intensity session, which is now three days in a row of high intensity. And then I'll jump back and say, well, tell me who you rode with on Monday and Friday. Oh, yeah, I rode with the same guys. And, and yeah, we, we probably went a little bit too hard on Monday and Friday. And before you know it, he's given me seven sessions that are identical. And, and he's really good at those seven sessions. He's, he's really good bunch rider, by the way. He's no mug as a bunch rider. Um, but that's the reason why he's staying the same. Um, so you need to have recovery sessions. You need to have variety. And therefore, you're not going to get the improvement that you're after. So, you know, we do talk about this a lot. And it's probably enough said about that. Yeah, yeah. It's just a classic example of there needs to be disparity between high and low. And that's where polarized training comes in. And then obviously, um, you know, the pyramidal style, style of training. But it does bleed into the point number four. And that is, again, a point we have hammered home a lot. But we want to try and talk about it in a slightly different way. And that is because it's such a common mistake is, yeah, not training in the correct zone that's allocated and the example you just gave is exactly that. You know, the Tuesday high intensity day was supposed to be high intensity, um, but often the high intensity isn't even good enough because yes, VO2 training needs to be high intensity, but it's, that doesn't mean going as hard as you can um, for the whole ride. And that's kind of what a lot of bunch rides can be. It's just helpful over the whole time. You know, you're making sure you're going hard enough consistently in the session. And the reason that, you know, a six by three minute interval session is a classic example is because it gives you 18 minutes of work at that VO2 max range. And if you're doing VO2 max properly, you probably can't handle more than that. And a lot of athletes but actually you can only handle you know at the start beginning athletes five by two minutes or five by two and a half minutes before building up to six by three minutes at proper vo2 max intensity and so if someone says that they're doing a high bunch ride where it's it's vo2 for an hour we're probably saying well it's not quite high intensity enough um or you're going too hard early and the back end's not high intensity enough because it's just not you know physiologically possible and also if you dig into that session which i've done many times i've looked at guys who've said oh can i do the bunch ride i go yeah sure socializing is really important i want you to have a balance in our program and jump in a bunch ride it's fine and then when i dig into that bunch ride i'll find they've done probably four or five minutes of vo2 and that session that i was prescribing instead of their bunch ride was a vo2 session and you've given an example of that six by three or we could do 60 30s or 40 20s or 30 15s well they've done probably three to four minutes and then the rest of it's been about maybe four minutes of threshold and then the rest of it has been tempo and so really they've only done a quarter of what we're trying to get out of that even though it was a hard ride mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's just not, gas at the end <laughs> it's just not hit the target that we want it's not spent enough time in the zones that we want it's in the wrong zones for too much time um, but it's still tiring and it's still fatiguing and it does affect you the next day but unfortunately you're not you're not actually riding hard enough for long enough in that in that session so Yes, it's okay to do these things, but within reason and, and once a week is, is what I'm advocating for guys to get their socializing and see their mates and do that high intensity midweek ride. And then if they can find a group to do the same session thereafter on a Saturday, then there's two examples or go to a race and you've got lots of socializing there. And you know, we're big advocates of balance. So we want, we don't want you to be a, a hermit and ride your bike by yourself. And there are people who love doing that, by the way, but the majority of people love the socializing of the bike riding and the improvement. So, You've got to give a little bit with the socialising so you can get the improvement, but still you can uh, do both at the same time if you're very clever and very smart about it. Yeah, and look, this is where knowing and using data, so, and that's two things there. Knowing your data is one thing, but then actually using the data is another um, is so important because you can apply it to any session throughout the week. If it's a Zone 2 session, do you actually know what the Zone 2 range is? You know, And that's 
that's lower and upper. Do you know what the minimum range is for you to actually be going at to get anaerobic fitness improvement? Because if you, if you are going too low, it's it's more of a recovery, um, just kind of frequency session. Whereas um, if you're actually at the bottom of that zone two range, you, you're going to be making sure you're getting that, that aerobic physiological benefit. And then the upper end, you know what you can't go over. And we're all guilty of this. And I often go on jogs with friends and I'm supposed to be at zone two and we get a little bit carried away and suddenly you look down and the heart rate's above what it, you know, it should be for, for that zone. And it's just you're making a classic mistake. You just should not go over that no matter who you're with. Select another day to go with your mates. If if you want to go with your mates and 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 you're you're doing a zone two and they want to run faster, then you end up you'll do the session poorly, or you'll end up leaving them and letting them run up the road. And you know, select another day where the the pace they want to run at is the pace that you're meant to be running at. Selecting who to r- ride or run or swim with, according to the session you've got is also part of that that mental preparation is well you know if i go out with my mates tomorrow i've got recovery and and i know they're going to ride hard so i'm gonna i'm gonna get the wrong session out of this so what other days are they going to ride okay they're going to ride thursday well i'll join in that day and and so making good decisions is is kind of as important to get the right improvement um, as doing the session the example I, I could use is i suppose uh, one of the athletes i just i just came back uh, with a conversation with um, recently i've been coaching this guy for a long time he's a really talented athlete really great cyclist in fact he he lost the national time trial to one of our other trivalo athletes by four seconds one year and three seconds another year so two years in a row he came second at the national time trial so that's the standard of rider he is and and because we went and got him to do a vo2 test and he really got the understanding of the science of what lactate means against power and heart rate even i've been coaching him for all these years and i've been telling him these these reasons why we train so accurately he's now saying to me i now get it that i shouldn't go outside the zone in the session you give me that's meant for threshold i shouldn't ride at vo2 in the threshold session and just like i shouldn't be riding at threshold in the vo2 session now i get it and he said you're going to be angry with me but You've told me that a thousand times, but now, now that I've done this, I, I totally am on board and I promise I'll n- try not to do that anymore because I am sabotaging my own program, aren't I? I said, yes, you are. And even though you might be doing a tempo session where it seems like, you know, you just want to rip it to pieces, be patient, just like you should be in a race. Be patient and wait for the right day to do that. And, you know, I'm often saying, you know, you did a great tempo ride except for the last effort and you just got out of your seat and rode max max VO2 for the last minute. That's just ruined that session, you know, and, and now, he, he, yeah, and, and he's understanding that. And it's great to hear that, although it's a well, it's almost a, a backhanded way of, of saying, yeah, I, I, I actually, <laughs> now I get what you've been trying to tell me for these last five years. Yeah, and we actually had another really funny example last week where we wanted to go on a Zone 2 ride and I invited one of our mates up who's just in flying form and he's just absolutely, he's, his Zone 2 is about 150 watts high than our Zone 2 at the moment. <laughs> and I told you that he's going to come up and you cracked it and you were like, no, don't, he's not coming up because he's, he's just going to, he's, one, he's going to be miserable because he can't go to our Zone 2 and he's and he's he's going to increase our ride and we both, we spoke to him and, and he said, no, no, that's fine, I'll just ride with you guys and you're saying, no, you're not, you're not going to do that. So come up anyway he came up and a very simple solution was he was getting a bit itchy feet on the hills um because it was a big hill zone two endurance ride and we're very disciplined and committed to tapping away and 
uh, he just rode off and he just rode up up the top of the hill, got to the top, turned around, rode back down and met us to where we were and then rode with us for the hill a second time. And so he gets a heap out of the ride um, while staying in his zones and we stay in our zones. And that is the key difference between knowing and, as we said before, using your data. But it's no good if you know that you know you zone two range, but you, you don't use it and you go out of it anyway. But that takes discipline and, and you know, lucky you and I are practicing what we preach, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. the minute the minute he started to ride too hard, I'm yelling out, go, go up the road, yeah. you know, yeah. go go to your zone too, because we're not going to ride any more than this. Yeah. It is incredible how easily it is when you're in conversation as well. And you're in conversation, you start creeping up a climb, but you, you're so focused on the conversation and suddenly you look down and it's, it's 330 watts and you're going, oh, this is way above what I'm supposed to be doing. You have to yourself back our last point for the day is um this is again a quite a unique one but um you have been shocked at how often an athlete's training isn't specific enough or meeting the goals of their event and um and their selection of events as well i just think that people haven't thought clearly about what they're actually signed up for and i think if they did think that through a bit more they may not be so gung-ho to sign up for an event that's probably outside of this their level their current level and so what's so bad about that? I'm a big believer in enjoying the race day and not surviving it. And I know there are some events that are endurance events that, well, oh, example, Rachel, you just couldn't be any more prepared and it is survival. And that's an extreme example. But I'm talking, I mean, Ironman is pretty extreme as well. So so most people, whether you're an elite pro or, or a middle age group or at the back of the field, it's still a hard, long day. But there's there's an enjoyable fact if you're prepared for it and give yourself enough time and have goals that are within your reach. And I, and I just keep getting, I don't know, I don't know why I'm so surprised that the people who have literally no fitness to start with sign up for an event that is going to require a massive amount of commitment. And I'm, I almost sound like a negative when they contact me, this is what I want to do. And instead of everybody being excited about moving forward, I'm the, almost the person who's giving them the reasons why they shouldn't do that. Um, and to think long and hard about the decision they're about to make. And if, if they tell me or convince me that they're up for the challenge and they, they've got a lifestyle that enables them to go for a, a potentially a six-hour bike ride with an hour's run afterwards, uh, getting closer to the event, then, then I'm on board with it. But un- unless they can convince me that they're on board with that, then I'm pretty much trying to talk them out of it because I know the consequences. I've been at the other side of people who have told me that they've, they've signed up for an Ironman as an example not done the work and then had a horrible experience and then you know the week after when we analyze it you know the first thing they say to me is i shouldn't have done that event i was underprepared i didn't have the time for it and i'm disappointed that i that i put myself through that it was not enjoyable and in fact i don't think i'll ever do that again that was so unenjoyable and so i've been at both sides and so i'm trying to be the voice of reason and and if and if you can convince me that you're up for the challenge fine i'm with you but halfway through the, the program i can see whether this is going to be a good outcome or, or a bad outcome and i'm forever reminding them that the things they told me at the start aren't happening and you you're going to have to re align your goals for this event your strategy of i wanted to break 13 hours for the iron man is looking more like 14 or your strategy to break 10 is looking more like 11 um, with the preparation you're putting in 
And the reason it's so important and we're making this point is, as you said, the, the whole point of an event is to make it an enjoyable, somewhat enjoyable experience where you're achieving a goal, but along the journey, you're improving as well. And like you're saying, if you can't meet the requirements of the training for that event, it's not going to be an enjoyable training process either. And you're actually not going to see the improvement because you're you're not meeting the, the volume or, or intensity or frequency requirements and therefore you're actually just not getting much out of the program. And it also works the opposite way. If you are training for a, an Olympic distance triathlon or a sprint distance triathlon, for example, which requires maybe a bit more high intensity and, and a different style of training, but you're such used to be an endurance athlete and you just do a lot of volume and, and not much VO2 work, um, again, you're, you're, you're doing the same thing, but in a reverse way. You're not meeting the requirements of the, the training in the event. And you're not going to be seeing improvement. You'll probably keep turning up to races just seeing the same result because you, the training you're doing isn't matching that. So that's a really key point. Yeah, I, I just can't, don't think we can finish this podcast without really enforcing that to get the training right, to see the improvement. You know, we talked about having perspective, but if you don't actually get the physical training right, you, you're going to stay the same athlete. And if you're okay with that, then that's fine by me. But I haven't met anybody who doesn't want to improve. There's, I'm yet to find an athlete who says I'm happy with a worse performance in this next race or the same. I haven't met that person yet. With that theory, you want to be able to show improvement on that journey. Look, the race day is key. There's no doubt. I'm not dismissing that. But the journey and, and the improvement you get and the satisfaction you get week in, week out with slight improvements here and there, two or three watts, 10 seconds per K um, as a runner, you know, two or three seconds per 100 meters in the pool. These are really little goals that you're achieving, little milestones that you're getting enormous satisfaction out of. And that's part of the improvement journey is finding those positive feedback that you're getting to get you up the next day to say, if I keep doing this, the next time I test, I will see some more improvement. And, and it's such a great roller coaster ride to be on where do the work, test, improve, start the next level. Do the work again, test, improve again, start at a higher level. And before you know it, you look back six months and you're, as you said at the start, 70 watts ahead, a minute per kilometre faster runner and 20 seconds per 100 metre faster swimmer as a, as a triathlon example. And it's harder to measure as a cyclist because you can't just say, I want to win races. It's, it's really how well you perform in training bunches and, and in actual races that your tactics play a part. So it's hard to measure by just the end result. Um, the improvement is in how you actually feel like you're executing in the race on race day so so you know improvement is key to motivation to to wanting you to come back to train the next day and there's lots of reasons why you might not improve and we've hopefully covered a lot of them today but but the journey of improvement will will ensure that on race day from when you started the program to when you get to race day you will be a better prepared athlete with a better outcome than had you not started that journey with the the sequence of events that we try to put in place for most athletes that we coach that's a great way to finish. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast on five key reasons why you might not be improving. And as we always say, there could be a combination of things. And as we were talking about this before the podcast, you just said, oh, there's, there's countless. Um, but we picked five here that we think would make some of the biggest differences for you. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much, as always, for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.